Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel, serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Keener, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there. And Jane, sadly, is still suffering from her cold. Yeah, I have to apologize. But I have faith that she's going to shake it very, very soon. Mm-hmm. So today, we are going to go back to basics with you guys. We're not going to review all the fun definitions of things like um, isthmus and peninsula, but I think that every now and then, it is very helpful to think about terms that we use very casually and consider where they came from. And the one that we're going to talk about today is civilization, because we're going to discuss whether or not Mesopotamia was, in fact, the cradle of civilization, as we like to refer to it. Yeah, a lot of people do um, refer to it as the cradle of civilization because it started a lot of things that we now just consider part of the definition of civilization that didn't exist beforehand. Which, if I can pipe in and be a total brown noser, I actually have the definition of civilization <laughs> from Merriam-Webster. Okay. And um, again, in, a, in back to basic spirit, I will read it for everyone out there. Civilization, a relatively high level of cultural and technological development, specifically the stage of cultural development at which writing and the keeping of written records is attained. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of arguments about what makes civilization. Obviously, if you disagree with that, that definition, you're not alone. There are a lot of arguments from historians and archaeologists. And one archaeologist, V. Gordon Child, um, suggests some criteria for what makes a civilization. He says it has to be large, um, has a concentrated po- population, specialized occupations, public buildings, social classes and rankings, Writing, like that, that definition mentioned, government uh, trade over long distances and the ability to produce and store food for a long period of time. To think about a time when, when this didn't exist is, is good for, for um, trying to wrap your mind around the beginning of civilization and what it means to have a civilization. Precisely. So- and if we look at a timeline of ancient history, we can see that Agricultural practices really began in 8000 BC, and prior to this time, people primarily were um, nomads, and they would travel from place to place looking for food. And whether they hunted animals or they foraged for vegetables and plants, that was up to that particular tribe, perhaps they did both. But as far as actually being rooted and fixed to a place... It, it meant much more than farming. It meant that you had a cooperative society at that point because people in your tribe had to designate who would plant what, how it would be harvested and when, and how to disseminate the bounty of your crops. Yeah. And you see in this sort of cooperative society the very beginnings of what civilization is. Right, and they mark 8,000 B.C. Um, as sort of the beginning of agriculture. Obviously, you need the technology and the understanding to, uh, to grow things and crops um, to sustain either a small tribe or a large tribe. And the, also the domestication of animals, which I know a little bit about. I actually wrote how domestication of animals works, which was one of my favorite articles <laughs> and exposes the dork that I am. But it's just really interesting to think about all these things that they, that um, settled life offers uh, a, a group and, you know, the ability to use milk and meat and have all this around you with not ha- without having to forage and hunt and gather. And um, it, it frees you up to do so much more right, like with art. your life. Yeah. With, like art and uh, practicing organized religion mm-hmm. and building a fixed structure that's going to be there for some time. And the people of the Fertile Crescent were actually pretty lucky because they happened upon some indigenous crops like wheat and wild barley, and they were so plentiful that they settled there. And that's when the Mesopotamians really began their civilization. It was sort of, again, by happenstance that they found these indigenous bountiful crops, and they could actually become farmers using the land. Yeah, and it's not exactly an accident about where civilization began, because we should mention Mesopotamia actually comes from the Greek for between two rivers. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a very fertile place, even though not all of the area got a lot of rainfall. Mm -hmm. uh, The the soil was very fertile. From the Tigris and Euphrates. Right, the Tigris and Euphrates. I'm sorry. Yeah, we should mention that. And although originally civilization started like very near these rivers, once the civilization started perfecting irrigation and canals, they were able to expand this farming and agriculture much farther out. And that's what's so huge, because if you take up a farming plot near a very fertile land, you can feed your tribe, sure. But once the people of Mesopotamia perfected the idea of irrigation Mm -hmm. and building canals, they were able to experience a huge boom in population. And so instead of having one very concentrated group of people in a specific area, they were able to grow to the surrounding parts. and Which could sustain and, and, you know, just provide food and everything for cities so that not everyone needed to be a farmer, for instance. 
uh, cities is one of the huge things that comes into the definition of what makes a civilization. A lot of people think that you have to have cities in order to be a civilization. Obviously, these were the first. So um, to think about it, this civilization of the Mesopotamians flourished before, you know, the Egyptians, the Greeks, and the mm-hmm. Romans. It was the predecessor to all of these. But also, we should distinguish this kind of civilization from those in that uh, it wasn't very unified. The Mesopotamians... They were usually city-states, just sort of cities that were, you know, they lived independently, they they had their own structure, they weren't ruled by anything bigger than them. Unlike the Egyptians and the Romans, they there wasn't very unified at this point, and uh, consisted of many languages and cultures mm-hmm. as well. Out of the Mesopotamians came so many innovations and, and things that also came to help what civilization meant and, and just sustain the civilization in general. And like we've mentioned before, there are basic differences between nomadic tribes that had a sense of culture, those who created cave drawings, or those who we have relics from that show that they obviously worship some sort of god because they fashioned things in, in that sort of shape or form to allude to that fact. But as far as being rooted in place, the Mesopotamians were able to start building temples and really starting an organized religion around their faith. So we see all these very sturdy and, and cool ziggurat structures throughout Mesopotamia and and Babylon, and we can tell that they had organized religion. We know that they developed cuneiform, and then later a type of phonetic writing, and we, we have records that show that they did things like accounting, and they kept track of their finances. And it's indicators like these that show these people weren't going anywhere. They were very much settled in a spot, sort of like you wouldn't pay rent if you were a bum who was just going to abandon town. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to be living in a place for a while, you pay rent, you pay your electricity bills, and you probably keep a, a tally in your checkbook of yeah. where this money goes to. Yeah, and accounting is, was one of the most important things that uh, the, our earliest records of known writing has to do with accounting, obviously out of necessity. But in addition to that, out of that came writing that was more literary. Uh, they actually had epic stories and, and poetry even, and which formed part of the first bur- book was actually uh, Gilgamesh, which is an epic story about a Sumerian king uh, quest for immortality. They also had, relating to religion, they had a story very like the Noah and the Ark story of the Great Flood. Obviously, writing is very connected to religion, but these are both things that, um, once they got formalized, were um, the, the first of their kind of civilization. And so along with the idea of law in society comes written codes. And you'll probably remember the podcast we did about the Code of Hammurabi and some important themes from Hammurabi's code are pretty evident in the Mesopotamian settlements too, of the ideas of restitution and retaliation and injustice, punishment for doing wrong to your neighbors. And this shows that, again, this is a cooperative society. And in addition to living lawfully and living spiritually, they also created their own system of time. They had a calendar. They did mathematics by which they kept their tax records and accounting. Yeah, and time is really interesting because we they started a system that we still use today, and that is the based on the, the number 60. You know, we have 60 seconds. We have um, 60 minutes in an hour. And... Um, and so to think that that has existed to this day is astounding. They also came up with the idea of dividing a circle into 360 degrees. So you definitely see the, you know, the foundings of science in this. In Precisely. Yeah. But 
again, you know, there's a, a dark side to this kind of massive technological advancement, too. And that's the idea that when you have power and you have leisure time afforded you by living in a place and having a very, you know, fixed system of farming and domestication of animals and uh, different trades around town, you get the idea that you can go out and conquer other territories that may be close by and that perhaps your civilization is superior. So we see evidence of empiricism in ancient Mesopotamia with people going out and expanding their empire and engaging in wars and even instilling systems of slavery in their society. Yeah, that's right. You have the first empire coming out of this time, at least in the third millennium B.C., the city-states, which were often battling each other at this point, were taken over and unified by the uh, Akeds who built the first empire like known to humanity. And if you remember the podcast that we did about the Terracotta Army and the first emperor of China, you know that amassing great wealth and power and land is, you know, as much of a curse as it is a blessing because, for instance, in 2300 BC, Sumer was unified under one ruler before it had been multiple cities and was brought together. And with unification, I think, comes a great deal of hostility sometimes. People can sometimes balk at the idea of their own culture being uh, subjugated for another culture coming in. And Mm -hmm. And you have this idea, I mean, like, you know, one race is better than another race because you have the idea of slavery as well coming out of this. That, you know, should be mentioned that they had a particular class system where... As, you know, uh, one of the archaeologists I mentioned, that's one of the criteria. Um, They had um, an upper class with nobles and landowners and government officials and priests and kings. In the middle, you had the merchants, you know, the farmers, the artisans, tradespeople. You can kind of see a middle class coming out of there. And uh, the lowest, you had slaves. And this was really the beginning of slavery as well. And classes are further designated by the fact that the ruler at the very top gets to disseminate the goods that are produced in society. Hmm. So it's very hard to move up in this type of system when you're being dictated how to live and you're given the sustenance you need to live. But many scholars would argue that while the Mesopotamian civilization certainly did give birth to facets of civilization that we still consider important to the definition today, there are other ancient civilizations out there that could be even older. Yeah, historians argue that... um other other city-states and stuff should be the really the cradle of civilization as we refer to it today. And that existed in about the late 3rd or early 2nd millennia B.C. Um, it was a vast city in uh, now Turkmenistan, and it was about 1,000 square miles, uh, and uh, it had canals and palaces, and so you can see, obviously, they had a civilization there. They had irrigation systems in place, and there's even some evidence that they traded with Egypt. And then over in Turkey, in about 7,000 B.C., uh, in Katahayuk, there's evidence of 10,000 people living in a cooperative society, farming and domesticating animals. And not unlike the city in Turkmenistan, there are also shrines here and centers for religion. Um, so there's evidence that these people were settled in place. They were spiritual people. However, the clincher, there's really no evidentiary support that they had an an organized government. Yeah, and my favorite part, I think I would rather call the Sumerians the cradle of civilization because I think like there's evidence they um, invented the wheel. <laughs> and it's like, that's the <laughs> ultimate invention, you know, this, um, inventing the wheel. You know, in addition to that, they had um, mass production of pottery. They, they brewed the first beer. It's very important to me. Um, <laughs> and they made the first glass. I think the Sumerians just made so many, I guess because their civilization actually sustained throughout the years, 
they have so many claims to fame. And I guess that's really why most people consider it the, the, the cradle, cradle. Of civilization. Yeah. And to me, it's just another argument of who gets to be first. Jane and I have talked before about who was first to America, you know, who invented the first car or the first assembly line. And it's a really silly squabble if you ask me, because every society in history has really contributed something important, whether it's uh, a positive contribution that we've modeled and, you know, infused with our latest technology to improve our standards today, or it's a negative contribution that, you know, helps us use that age-old maxim, you have to learn from history or will it repeat itself? You know, we, we learn not to engage in certain types of warfare and discrimination. So all contributions from all people have know. made some I, sort of impact. That's true. That is true. I have to play devil's advocate, though. It is cool to see who was the first, you know, to give credit where credit is due and just to know where ideas began and know how astoundingly old they are, really. It really gives you a conception of of understanding. You know, you can really understand civilization when you know where it began. So That's true. I think there's also something to be said for being very fortunate for settling in an area like the Fertile Crescent, where the mm-hmm. land is obviously ripe for a civilization to grow out of it. I wonder yeah. how many civilizations out there, or almost could be civilizations, nomadic tribes of people, tried and failed because they were in the wrong type of land, yeah. and it couldn't support True. them. One interesting side note to this is, I remember uh, in my research for this podcast, that some historians think that the old myth of the, the Garden of Eden, actually, the story actually... Um, that that Eden actually was located in uh, Mesopotamia in the Fertile Crescent, and that kind of makes sense that makes when you sense think to about me. it. You right. Know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, um, I could keep this debate going forever, but all of you out there are probably anxious to put your paws on your own dictionaries to look up civilization and city and town and other riveting definitions. So we will cut it short. But I would like to encourage all of you, if you have not already, to visit our brand new stuff you missed in history class blog. Yeah, Candace and I each write on uh, the blog every day, and it has to do with a range of subjects, stuff that interests us that we think will interest you, and news in the field of history and archaeology and everything like that. We also address all of your questions uh, on uh, the Mondays of every week as well, so check that out. And on Fridays, we do a little podcast recap, so a chance for you all to get your comments in about the stuff we've been talking about on air with you. And if you have a piece of feedback for us or an idea for a future podcast, be sure to email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. And if you would like to see the article on which this podcast was based called Why Was Mesopotamia Called the Cradle of Civilization, you can find it on our website at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.